Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with Hypno Coaching to empower children, teens, and young adults to win in life with Christine Silverstein. She is a peak performance coach, behavioral health RN, and a director at the Summit Center for Ideal Performance, and is an inductee into the Nursing Hall of Fame at Columbia University. For 27 years, she's worked with clients of all ages, specializing in assisting children, teens, and young adults to reach their best performances in health, athletics, academics, business, and performing arts using mindful toughness skill sets such as self-hypnosis, relaxation exercises, mental rehearsal, mental recall, and positive self-talk. Her innovative evidence-based programs such as Winning Ways for Teens and Operation Heal have assisted many clients to attain successful outcomes. She's full of wisdom and great stories. Enjoy. Okay. All right. Well, great. Well, hey, thank you so much for taking a minute out for the program today. It's great to meet you. Oh, thank you. It's great to meet you as well. I've been listening to your recordings, and I, I like them very much. They're very personal oh, for the guests. Yes. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, where are you located in the world? I am in Oakland, New Jersey. That's where my office is, and I live in Riverdale, northern New Jersey. Okay. All right. I, I detected an a, a eastern uh, accent. My yes, dad was that- actually... <laughs> My dad was born in Brooklyn and raised on Long Island, joined the military. Yes, so that's why I'm I, I was raised in, in uh, New York City, so you, I have that accent, yes. <laughs> I've been told that. Yeah, I love it. Mm-hmm. It comforts me. It's family to me. So, yes. Um, but, but I'm in Kansas City. I appreciate you taking a minute out. And I want to begin our conversation before we get into your work and your mission with mm-hmm. surviving the pandemic. How did you get through the last three years, three and a half years, I should say, and how did it change you? Well, it, it was quite an experience, actually, for me as a healthcare professional. But actually, the day before the lockdown here in New York, New Jersey, in the middle of March 2020, we held a wedding shower for my daughter with 30 guests coming into my new town home. And there was hesitancy for the guests to come because we heard about an impending lockdown. Even my daughter was scared to have the guests come because she thought maybe people had COVID already. So her large wedding that was scheduled for May 2nd, 2020, which would have been her great-grandmother's 122nd birthday, uh, my daughter had to cancel that, the big wedding. Uh, but we, she got married in my backyard with 11 people on that day, May 2nd, and we sit we sat six feet apart, and we had masks on, and we celebrated with um, wedding cupcakes and some champagne, but eventually she got married at the original wedding site in Pennsylvania one and a half years later, so it was that was changed my daughter's life, but also my life in the sense that um, she she got to have both experiences and got through it, and, and we, she had a happy wedding thereafter so but in the meantime during many months of lockdown i didn't go to my office that's about 11 miles from my home where i work one-on-one with my clients but instead i built up my online presence to work with them and some of the my my clients their relatives had died from covid so they were calling me asking me what to do and i even made a recording to one who's on a, a, a respirator who eventually died but tried to help him um, to come off the, the respirator. And then um, watching my colleagues die, because I am a registered nurse, I decided as a historian 
to follow up on the TV news and the horrendous casualties that were taking place in New York City, I decided to record what was happening and wrote a peer-reviewed paper that I published in 2020 some months later so that when people look back to the pandemic 100 years from now, they'll see it was not fake news. So anyway, in this paper, I asked what Florence Nightingale and Hildegard Peplau, a psychiatric nurse of the 20th century, would have done if they were alive, and would nurses have fared better? And then in 2020, I followed this article up with a keynote address at a nursing conference in Tokyo. It was a virtual conference and spoke about how nurses could help themselves to maintain their mental health. And more recently, gave an address in 2023 in Rome, Italy, to encourage nurses to stay in the profession as they flock away, some with depression, suicidal ideation, and substance use disorder in the aftermath of COVID-19. Wow, that's intense. That's wonderful that you did all that. That's you know, documenting that and coming from, you know, kind of the, the ground zero, so to speak. So, you know, reading your bio and all the wonderful work you did, there's so many things that go into it. But I'm curious, if I put you in front of a bunch of third-grade students at career day and one of the kids asks you, what do you do for a living, what would be your answer? Well, I, I do work with children, teens, and young adults, and that's my specialty. So, of course, I would speak to the the children about how they're doing, how they're feeling in school. There are lots of fears there, you know, for obvious reasons because of all the school shootings. And I would tell them that I work with people to help them to be be the best performers, maybe talk about uh, do you have a sport you like or do you have a hobby, uh, do you go to dance class or whatever, and you want the best performances there. So I help people through those performances, but also you know, how you relate in school, what's going on in your life, and how you could, you know, use the skills that I teach to be calm and, and to be happy and, and to do your best at school. So I would approach it that way, definitely, to third graders, um, because they are already involved in sports, for sure. They start these days at five years old. So what did you want to be in the third grade? What was your dream? Oh, in the third grade, actually, I wanted to, I wanted to be involved in sports, my dad was the director of the Police Athletic League, PAL, in our hometown of Far Rockaway, New York, where I grew up. And he told me, because he didn't have programs for girls in his, in his, in, within the PAL, he told me that there were no sports for girls. So I used to go to the baseball field and sit on the bench. I was relegated to the bench with the green PAL hat on, and I'd watch the boys play ball. And I'd listen to the instructions he gave them but I wasn't really um, able to go on to the field. And so so there was this event where I was playing knock hockey in a local um, grammar school, a public playground, and I was playing outside the building where the maintenance building was. And there was a sign that said there, were, there was a skating race, a, a citywide skating race, and that I could sign up. Now, I was, I was 10 at the time, and so I went inside and signed myself up, and I never told my parents about it because I figured this, it didn't say if you're a girl, you can't, you can't skate. And I always loved skating. I started really when I was three years old. So anyway, I got measured at the handball court, and I got my, you know, my um, 
application filled out, and I practiced every single day, rain or shine. I went to the park, and I practiced on the field there where the skating race was going to be, and I envisioned myself skating like the wind, and I saw myself um, with Pegasus wings on my heels and finishing first in the race. And I ended up winning the race, and I, I won these brand-new shiny metal skates, my first ever, because I was the fourth daughter, and I always had hand-me-down skates. <clears throat> and I brought them home, and I put them on the kitchen table, and my mom said, where did you get that? What is that? And I said, these are my new roller skates. And she said, oh, my gosh, where did you get it? So I, I said, I won them. And then, of course, my mother and my father were beaming, you know. <clears throat> and then I went to the Queen's Championship, and I won there. And I placed at the city championship. And I, I coached myself with the very same skill sets I teach today to my clients. So how specifically were you groomed to get into this line of work of helping people? What was it about growing up that got you into this line of work? Well, you know, I I was always um, relating to people. I, I, I cared about people. People would come up to me when I was a young a young person said, what should I do? What should I do in this situation with my, my teen daughter? And I'm thinking, why are you asking me? But I, I always had an answer. <clears throat> and then when I was 15 years old, I was, on, I was out with my friends, and one of the people in my group had a, an epileptic seizure in the middle of the street. So uh, we didn't know what to do. We were teenagers, and we thought, we should put a stick in his, in his mouth, you know, so he doesn't swallow his tongue. It's something that we had seen on TV. <clears throat> and so right after that, it was, I, I graduated from high school when I was 16. So I had to plan, you know, that, that fall, what was I going to do? Was I going to college? What would I do with my life? So my mom said to me, well, why don't you become a nurse? When she was 15, she had an inflamed appendicitis and, and she almost died in the hospital. So she wanted to become a nurse, but never fulfilled her promise to herself. So she encouraged me, and I applied to nursing school, and I got there for the the interview. It's in Brooklyn, speaking about your dad coming from Brooklyn. It was in Brooklyn. I had to go on the train by myself, and I got lost in the train subway station. And I finally got there, and I had my, they told us we should wear, you know, high heels, and we should wear a hat and gloves. Um, to the interview, and I got to the corner, and it was a snowy day with a lot of slush, and a truck went by, and I got filled with mud, like on my hat, my face, my clothing, my legs, and I didn't know what to do. I went into my interview, but first I I kind of washed off in the sink, you know, in the the bathroom there, and then then, um, I went into my interview, and this nun, this Catholic nun is interviewing me saying, Oh, that's great. That's great. You know, you're doing well in the interview. But then she got down to my age. She looked at my age and she said, wait a minute, you have to be 18 to come to this school. And she said, how come you're only 16? And I said, I don't know. I guess I'm smart, you know, like that. And that's, I think, got me into the school. But at any rate, that's how I started nursing. And that's part of the work that I do, uh, you know, at the Summit Center because I have a program called Operation Heal. Um, where I work with people to help them go to surgery um, and heal from, you know, fractures and things like that, but also cancer and work along with physicians to help them to be the best prepared and also to heal faster after uh, in their recovery. 
and without the, uh, heavy doses of narcotics. So that's part of my work. And it really began when I was 15, um, thinking about what my future would be. And I used all these skills as a peak performance coach, incorporating what I learned as a nurse. So who's been a hero for you in your life? I would have to say, um, I, I, I do believe that my, my um, grandmothers, um, I look to them um, as heroes, not having education, um, living um, before they, they even had the right to vote. And um, so one of my grandmothers, she lived in rural New Jersey, and my grandfather was a plumbing contractor, so he had this big truck. He always had, like, toilets and things in the back of his truck. So anyway, my my grandmother, she wanted to learn how to drive. And he said, but it's a truck. You know, who drives a truck? But anyway, she learned how to drive the truck. And as the story goes, she packed up all her friends who didn't have cars, and she brought them to vote for the first time. And she already had two children at that time. So she's a hero for me, and I'm named after her. I'm middle so name. Yeah, so if you could meet anybody alive on the planet right now that you find inspirational, who would that be? I think the the person that I'm really curious about is Mahatma Gandhi. And the reason for that is because I went to India some years ago, and we were on a tour, and I was so excited to go see the museum. And, and um, my, my, the person on the tour sitting in back of me she was a retired teacher, and she kept on saying to the tour guide on the bus, oh, you, why don't we go out to lunch? I really want to do lunch now. You know? And she was really annoying me because she interrupted the, the tour guide's um, you know, little speech that he was giving us about the, the uh, city. So anyway, we get there, and um, in, in the museum, we're walking around, and we're seeing you know, where, where there was fasting, and, 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 you know, the, the, the history of what was going on when, when he was, uh, when he was, um, really protesting. And this lady still saying, I want to go to lunch. Can't we do lunch now? And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this is an American in this, in this museum. You know, I was kind of embarrassed for her, you know, because we're talking about how he was fasting. <laughs> so at any rate, when I was leaving, there was a, there was a bust right in the entryway. And I think it was made out of bronze. I'm not sure. But anyway, I looked into this, the eyes of this bust, and these eyes just came alive for me. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I'd like to speak to you, to interview you, because I am a historian. And so I think that's the person I would like to speak to, because I've looked up what, how people are viewing him now, and I was wondering, well, what he would really think about what people are saying about him now and, and how he lived his life and you know, both the positive and the negative, without really <clears throat> looking back to where where he grew up and what the beliefs were in society, you know, in, in the Indian society, which people often do when they think about history. Oh, I could go back to the Civil War. I could be a better no negotiator than Abraham Lincoln because you're not putting yourself back in the space. It's called present-mindedness that historians are told to avoid when they're recording history. So what is that motivation for you every day to get up to, to help people? You apparently are out there helping people, but you also have to evolve as a person. What is that motivation yeah. for you every day? The motivation is 
what I see going on in the world. And that was the motivation for writing my book, Wrestling to Adversity, Empowering Children, Teens, and Young Adults to Win in Life, because I saw what was happening on the TV, the children at school, um, the infanticide literally over there in Israel, and the teenagers and being in in um, emergency rooms and there's no treatment for them for suicidal ideation and then the young adults uh, in college having all kinds of issues. 60% of college students go to college having mental disorders and they admit it. So this is a really dire situation, I think, um, looking out at what's happening. And that bothers me because for 27 years I've been working with these age groups and I know there's something that you can do and that's something you can learn. And I do it through sports. Like I work with a lot of wrestlers and I also in other sports, and I work with musicians and performing artists, and I help them in, with their grades at school, and also with health, of course. And so I know there are things you can do, and I call them mindful toughness skill sets, which I present in my book, and I've used them for 27 years, and I've developed them myself. So, and, and I have my copyright and my trademark for, for um, mindful toughness um, that I recently got, so that you use the power of your mind to and that, that's innate within teenagers and young adults and we don't really value it or nurture uh, how they can become leaders rather than depressed and committing suicide in the college so let's go back to that useful place let's say you have a dream tonight and you run into like the 18 year old version of you and you can give that young version of you a piece of advice based on the wisdom you've gained in your life the life that you've led what advice would you give your younger self? I would give my younger self advice. I think the first thing would be to nurture me, kind of like the inner, the inner child, um, because in my book I did write about experiences I had in nursing school, and they were kind of um, horrific. Now, looking back, I don't know how I got through them. Like one time I was scheduled to be in the operating room on call, I was 18 years old. I didn't have very much training in the operating room, but that's how it was in nursing school back in those days. And I had I had to um, be there just in case somebody came in with an emergency. And then later in the shift, the evening shift, this um, person, uh, he, he had a gunshot wound, a young adult with a gunshot wound, was wheeled to the doors of, of the operating room. And I was responsible to help the surgeon, the scrub nurse, go through the operation, and I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I did the best I could. It was very stressful um, during that period. And I just remember, Christine, you just have to get through this. There's somebody's life here. You know, you have to take care of that. So the surgeon came in. He was he was like a giant size next to me, being very petite. And he he went in and scrubbed his scrubbed his hands and his arms, and I followed him, and I followed what he was doing. And then I was supposed to put on his gown and his gloves and all this, and I didn't know how to do it, so he he was he scoffed and he did it himself. And then it was very intimidating, and I got the instruments next to him. I was handing him the instrument, like he said, scalpel, and I handed him the scalpel. And I only saw operations on TV, or um, I had one experience of observing a hernia operation, so anyway, during the operation, I wasn't fast enough. I didn't have the right instruments. The the uh, circulating nurse had left. She was an RN. She had left to find sutures someplace else in the hospital. So I'm there alone. 
with the anesthesiologist and the doctor, and he got very upset because I wasn't picking, I wasn't, when he turned the, the instruments, I wasn't fast enough. So he put them on the drape, and he, he fluffed up the drape, and all the instruments there fell on the floor, and I had no instruments to give him. I cut off the end of my glove. I almost amputated my fingers, you know, and all these things happening. And I started to cry. And then the surgeon, you know, he called me names. He said, you know, how stupid are you? And then he apologized later. And I got through the operation. And then I had to scrub the floors and, and wash the instruments and, and, and um, wash off the counters. And I didn't get back to school to the, to the residence until 3 o'clock in the morning, exhausted, and I had to get up early at 8 o'clock, take some exams on surgical nursing. So I was thinking back to that time, and I was anxious. I had, like, rashes on my arms. I was smoking, and, 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 but I got through it, and, and, and I was resilient. And I know that some college athletes now are feeling the same way. They, they don't have any say. They don't know what to do. It's very stressful to be an elite college athlete, and I wrote about this in my book. And some of them, they just commit suicide. So I would tell them, you need to use the same skills that you're learning right there on the soccer field, on the baseball field, and transform them psychodynamically into energy to win. And then you use that in your life to get your job interview, et cetera. That's what I do with my clients. So it's all worth it at the end if you learn what to do rather than feeling depressed, feeling anxious when we're not teaching our teens and young adults, what they have to do to navigate life and to be resilient and and to have a career in the future. I would tell them, here, do breathing easy, do this, do that, do your mental rehearsal and use that in your life. It's not just for the playing field. For sure. So everyone out there has a perception of you. There's all these circles of people, family, friends, clients, but you run the show. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? Well, I think during the course of writing my book, I really found out who I am, you know, like looking back to when I was, you know, 10 years old and this skating champion or even getting through that operation, you know, I, I said to myself, think that yes, there is a God after that one, you know, that I succeeded. But it was last, last January, I was um, writing the introduction to my book and I went to Egypt for a, a celebration of that anniversary. And I didn't expect to find out who I was in Egypt. I had no idea what would transpire. So I'm at this, um, I'm on the Nile River, and I'm writing the introduction to my book. And for some reason, I always dreamed that I'd be writing on the Nile River. <laughs> I don't know where I got that from. But we were passing by the hotel where Agatha Christie wrote Death on the Nile. So I really felt like, hey, I'm a writer. And I had promised my dad before he died that I would become a writer because he saw my talent. So at any rate, we're floating on the Nile. And I got this idea to go into the gift shop where they had souvenirs and jewelry. And I said, I don't know why, but maybe I'll go in there and look around. And I found this very nice man. He was a jeweler. His name was Mohammed. And he convinced me to look at the jewelry that had the cartouche, which is how the pharaohs identified themselves. And the cartouche is like an oval shape, and, and um, they're, they're scattered around the temples that we had visited. And he said, I can put your name on this in hieroglyphics if you want. 
So he showed me what it would look like. And I just fell in love with it. And I knew I had to buy it. So, so I purchased it and came back some time later. So Mohammed said, so Christine, how are you doing now that you have your cartouche? And I burst out into tears. I was just bawling my eyes out in the middle of the store. And I was surprised. And he said, what's the matter? I said, you know, my mom named me Christine. There's a reason why my mom named me Christine. And, and I said, and he said, you know, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that your mom passed away. And he's hugging me and he's patting me on the back. And he's saying, it's okay. Everything's okay, Christine. So I left there thinking, like, what was that about? You know, um, but my name has a special meaning and it's follower of Christ. And my mother always told me that. So, so then two days later, we go to old Cairo and our tour guide, Waleed, brought us to this cabin church, and in the basement of that church is a cave, and that's where Jesus, the baby Jesus, and the Holy Family lived for some time, running away from Herod, you know, in, in the, the infanticide. And so I saw where Jesus slept and where they drank the water, and and I just, I couldn't breathe. I just couldn't breathe, just knowing, like, how come this is coming about? And it made me stronger and realize why I wrote my book about children, teens, and young adults. And so that's how I know who I am. And it, it, it was really through the, the, the stories that I wrote about myself in my memoir and also my personal case stories in my book. So if anyone wants to pick up your book, learn more about you, reach out, what's the best way to do that? Well, they can reach out to me on my, on my website, idealperformance.net. And also my personal LinkedIn, which is Dr. Christine M. Silverstein. And I have a company, LinkedIn, which is Winning Ways for Wrestlers and a business Facebook, the Summit Center for Ideal Performance, which is the name of my business. Excellent. This has been wonderful, Christine. Thank you for your story. Thank you for your time. Have a great 2024. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for interviewing me. I appreciate that as well. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, business, spirituality, music, and more from around the globe. Our esteemed theme music was composed and produced by the great E.E. E. Pointer of Kansas City's River Cow Orchestra. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. You can also find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and until next time. Music